0: Hi friends, and welcome back to Unsolicited Wisdom, the podcast where I ask the people I love what keeps them up at night, what's that philosophical itch that they just can't scratch. I'm your host, Eliza Brewer, and we've got an excellent show for you today because our guest is one of my closest friends. He was the first friend I ever made at my college. And I'm always so impressed by his artistic ability and his insights, so... Without further ado, welcome Abner Algerando to the third episode of Unsolicited Wisdom. able to choose. Even that like which what rich white man in, in New York City does he have freedom of the will? Where do you where do you stand right now? Do you think that we that anybody has free will?
1: So like I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, we can like make some choices that you know that can actually change our lives in some degree. But in others, we really don't have the ability to choose. For one, we're just born. We don't get to choose who we're born to. We don't get to choose our genes. We don't get to choose what country or nation that we're basically being born into. And all those things predetermine your life's trajectory.
0: It's almost like someone or something has knocked over this trail of dominoes and you just have no control over how those dominoes fall. I'm gonna complicate this a little bit uh, and maybe freak you, out, freak you out more by asking the question, does that extend to every action? Because if you think about it, so, so there are different ways of approaching determinism. There are determinists who are soft determinists who sort of believe, just like you said, they're kind of in the middle. They think that, sure, some things are determined, like, like physical things, the physical laws of nature are not things that you can affect or change. But like psychology, maybe like somebody's thought is not necessarily strictly determined. Like that's something that has a little bit of room for chaos. Hardline determinism, determinists say no. There is nothing in the world that, ha- that doesn't have a cause. So here's a really good quote from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy on causal determinism which is what we're talking about. So suppose as the thesis of causal determinism tells us that everything that occurs is the inevitable result of the laws of nature and the state of the world in the distant past. If this is the case, then everything human agents do flows from the laws of nature and the way the world was in the distant past. But if what we do is simply the consequence of the laws of nature and the state of the world in the distant past, then we cannot do anything other than what we ultimately do, nor are we in any meaningful sense the ultimate causal source of our actions since they have their causal origins in the laws of nature and the state of the world long ago. Determinism, therefore, seems to prevent human agents from having the freedom to do otherwise. And it also seems to prevent them from being the sources of their actions. If either of these is true, then it is doubtful that human agents are free or responsible for their actions in any meaningful sense. Pretty freaky, right? Does that make sense to you?
1: Yes, more or less it does.
0: More or less. Yeah, so I guess like the cliff notes of that is, so let's say just for argument's sake that when Eliza was five, she stole her sister's Barbie. Now, of course, Eliza would never do something like that, but let's say she did, okay? you might wanna hold her morally responsible for that action. In fact, my parents probably would have, but the question is, could she have done anything else, right? And that seems to be a really important element for a lot of philosophers in figuring out like, did did someone really have free will? Did they really choose to do this thing? If they did choose to do this thing, then it follows that they could have done something else. If we live in a deterministic world, Basically a world in which you know, you, you sort of simplify things down to, okay, well, the laws of nature and the shit that happened in the past, that all sort of fixes in a way what can happen in the future, right? Because you have a cause and then there's an effect. And then that effect has, a, has another effect, right? And so mm-hmm. if you follow this chain all the way back to its origins, who's responsible for that? No one is. It's just the, this momentum, this, these dominoes that the creation of, of the universe just sort of started pushing over at one point. And here we are today, maybe choosing our actions and but most likely, if you're a determinist, not. Do, do you think that that has any, any stock in our real lives? Do you, do you believe that? Or do you think that there's some room for, for freedom?
1: So from what I'm understanding, if we're talking about determinism, then we're assuming that there is no other option. The option that has been done is the only thing that could have been possible. Right. We're taking up free will, then there are other options that we could have done in mm-hmm. that moment. Like like you could have chosen to like take like her hairbrush instead of like her Barbie or something. Yeah. I I mean naturally, I would say like yes, like just knowing that there are other options. Seems important.
0: You're you're right in intuiting that it seems important because because a lot of philosophers do, too. But not another thing to think about is that not all philosophers believe that the ability to do otherwise is the basis for responsibility and free will. Mm -hmm. Right. So Harry Frankfurt, who's this philosopher, he came up with this really brilliant refutation to the idea that responsibility requires the ability to have done otherwise so and he, he gave us this example in which there's this guy jones who wants to shoot this other man he wants to shoot this man we'll call him we'll call him a uh, pete okay so jones wants to shoot pete there's another guy named larry and larry really wants jones to shoot pete because he doesn't like pete he says i want to make sure that jones gets the job done. So what Larry does, is he says, look, just in case Jones chickens out and decides that he doesn't want to shoot Pete, I'm going to go. I'm going to watch him. And if he chickens out, I'm going to hold a gun to his head and make him shoot Pete. If Jones decided to shoot Pete, the reality is he couldn't have done otherwise, even if he had chickened out at the last second and said, I don't want to shoot Pete. He couldn't have done otherwise because here comes Larry saying, you got it. You got to shoot Pete. But we still, even though Jones couldn't have done otherwise we still hold Jones morally responsible for shooting Pete if he shot Pete because he wanted to shoot Pete. So it seems like for Harry Frankfurt, at least what's important is what motivates your will. Another way that Frankfurt thinks about freedom and responsibility is, he says, look, we have a hierarchy of desires that motivate our will. We have these things called first order desires. And he uses the example of addicts to show this. So he says, if you're a drug addict, let's say, you might have the desire to do drugs or to not do drugs. And that's a first order desire, just like if you are a sugar, sugar addict, uh, you have a desire to eat cake or to not eat cake, that's your first order desire. Then we have second order desires and second order desires are different because they are desires about what we want to desire, about what we want to motivate our will. So although I might really wanna do drugs or eat cake, I might also have a desire to not have that desire like i might have the desire to not want to do drugs right or to not have that motivate my will what harry frankfurt says is look what's really important is those second order desires that's how we can determine how someone is responsible for an action as so we can ask the question well did they really want to want to do that right mm-hmm. did they really really want to want to take drugs or did they want to do something else, and just ha- were kind of inab- unable to to choose to do otherwise? I think that's a that's an interesting question, and I'm wondering if you think that that helps a little bit with this problem of determinism and free will.
1: I think it's definitely interesting when you put it that way. When when free will is actually what motivates you to do something, rather than um, than of what you can actually do. Yeah. And where does this philosopher stand in this debate?
0: No, this is a really good question, actually. So there are really two types of determinists when you're talking about free will specifically. There are determinists who are incompatibilists, which believe that free will is not compatible with with determinism. They say, look, if you want to really be the agent of your own will in a deterministic world, forget about it. Uh, And then there are (laughs) compatibilists they are compatibilists who say, no, 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 no. You're thinking about this all wrong. There are ways that you can reconcile the two. And Frankfurt is of the second. So he believes even in a deterministic world, you can find a way to reconcile freedom of the will. The way that he chooses to do that is by sort of redefining what we think responsibility is. So whereas one person might say, oh, well, I think that responsibility is, or freedom is the ability to do otherwise. And someone's responsible for something if they had the ability to do otherwise and chose not to. Frankfurt says that's not what free will is at all. That's not what responsibility entails at all. What free will is, is is it's your, your second order desires. It's your wants to want. And your ability to sort of, translate those into a final action. And responsibility lies in those second order desires. So even if, you know, your first order desire is to eat cake or to not eat cake, that's irrelevant to free will, he says. That's irrelevant to responsibility. What is relevant is, did you want that desire? Did you Mm. or did you not want that desire?
1: with that explication, I'm still thinking that it's like both, <laughs> like it's so, I'm still like in this middle ground.
0: No, I, I am also with you. I think that it, here's something to think on, actually. So I read this beautiful essay by Susan Wolf, um, my first year as a philosophy student, and in it, she, she says, sh- look, I'm gonna address really quickly the problem of determinism and free will, so you guys and stop fighting about it i'm gonna put it to rest which anytime anyone says that take them with a grain of salt but in this case i think her argument was really beautiful she says look if you really 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 want free will in the sense that you are the origin of all your actions forget about it you in order for that to happen you would have to create yourself you would have to be the origin of yourself And that's just a logical impossibility because in order to create yourself, you would have had to already existed. So that's just like, she's like, look, what you're asking me to do, hardline determinists or incompatibilist determinists, is to pull a unicorn out of my pocket and I just can't do that. She's like, wanting wanting freedom of the will in the way that you want it is like wanting to be a married bachelor. That's just something that doesn't make sense to want. So stop thinking about it. Stop worrying about it. And instead sort of reframe the way that you're thinking about freedom and responsibility. I'm wondering if that has any traction in your mind.
1: Now that you put it that way, I'm like, now how should I think about this like debate, really? So Susan Wolf is arguing that this debate shouldn't even be happening. Because first of all, like what you guys are like trying to posit isn't even possible in the first place.
0: In a sense, yeah. Oh, essentially, what she's saying is, if you want free will, in a really mm-hmm. deep sense, if you want to be able to be the author of all of your own actions, that's dumb. Like that's just a dumb thing to want. So quit wanting that. So her prescription is: look, maybe it's true that physical determination it isn't something that we can we have any power over, right? In the sense that. The earth revolves around the sun at a certain angle, in a certain way. That's not something we have control over. Car runs on gasoline. That's not something that you or I have control over. But she says, psychology is maybe more complicated than that. Psychology Mm -hmm. is something that maybe has too many factors or or has some room for chaos and randomness that we just can't account for. So she argues that physical determination is consistent with the ability to do otherwise, because the relevant ability is one that only requires the falsity of psychological determinism. I know that's kind of complicated, but in her mind, she's like, look, physical determinism and psychological determinism are two very different things. Now, determinists disagree about that. Neuroscientists are also fighting about this. The question is, is there any room for randomness at all in this universe? Whether that's psychologically, whether that's physically. And you might think, well, let's turn to physics to answer that question. Let's, why hasn't physics figured out whether or not there's any chance for just truly random action? And unfortunately, we just don't know enough about the nature of our universe to say whether or not that's true quantum physics is really exciting because it's giving us like new insights into how randomness might operate and how like two contradictory things can exist at one time, but it's still in its infancy. and, And the fact of the matter is we just can't say whether or not we live in a deterministic universe. So either way, I think it's worth asking this question if the universe truly is deterministic in the sense that everything that is happening was always going to happen. Just given the laws of the universe, given the momentum that we're on based off of how the big bang happened or whatever, are we free? Is there any chance for freedom in that? I think that's still a problem, even in Susan Wolf's formulation of the split between psychological and physical, because our psychology at its root is based off of physical laws, right? Like. There are neurons in our brains that fire electricity and that electricity follows specific natural laws. So I, I'm just curious, like, where are you right now?
1: First of all, based on my studies, I can not confidently say that humans make meaning out of the world and there are no set patterns in the world. So in that instant, instance, you can't really like, there's always going to be like randomness based off of making meaning off of things, right? Right. So on that end, I'm like, there is some free will in that regard, because humans are literally constructing the world as they like, as they navigate it, so in my, in my mind, that makes sense, but in, but on the other hand, I'm still like, there's so like deterministic features in our world. Eliza, you, you didn't choose to like, be to born where you're born, you didn't choose to have, have brown hair, you know?
0: Yeah. You
1: didn't choose to do that.
0: I didn't choose any of that, and arguably you know you're talking about okay human beings affect the world around them like they kind of build their own realities and as such we sort of do have will right but you know you're you're bringing into question well eliza you didn't choose your birth family you didn't choose your country and you didn't choose how people chose to structure those things right and so i think a really beautiful thing about determinism is that it does in a way confirm the fact that we do have a certain kind of like effective agency. Like we are really able to affect the world around us. The question is, are we deeply affected by the world around us such that the effects that we cause aren't really like Like they don't really belong to us. Like when I decide that I want to go and volunteer at a soup kitchen, is that a choice that belongs to me? Because if I think about it, my inclinations toward charity are partially my personality, which is something that I was born with. Partially my family, my family, which taught me values that we're consistent with, you know, if you have the opportunity to engage in charity work, you should and partly opportunity. You know, I have the ability because of my job and and my free time to volunteer. Right. So I can think of nothing in my decision to volunteer at the soup kitchen tomorrow that originated within myself. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the determinist problem when it comes to free will. And that's, That's sort of my question. I'm wondering, what do you you think that that even matters, though, like in a real concrete sense? Because at the end of the day, like, yes, it might be true that my decision to eat a salad instead of a pizza tomorrow is not really my decision. But at the same time, I have to go to the cafeteria and choose. Like, I still have to make that decision. And I'm wondering on just on a practical level what do you think about how we should be approaching our own like sense of, of freedom and and responsibility
1: yeah so <laughs> in response to like you picking a salad or a pizza and whatever option you choose to me it doesn't really matter because that that thing is still going to happen either way is this more like it's sort of like an ego thing. Am I actually making this decision? Am I actually the one who can like affect the universe and the things around me? But on that note, I personally don't think that really matters too much. Yeah. Because to me, we're just, you know, we're living our life here for a very short time and pondering on like that effect that we ha- have on the world doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You really just have to do the things that matter to you yes you can just be like wait is this really coming out of my own heart my own desires right at the end of the day it will still get done regardless
0: totally and i think i think that you can take two very different approaches to the extremes of free will libertarianism which is this idea that the will is completely free and the extreme of total like hard determinism you can on the determinist side Take the attitude of total defeatism. That's one extreme you can say, I have no control over anything. The world is gonna push me around however it wants to, and I might as well just let it. That's one attitude you can take. The other extreme is, you know, you really believe that you can, can like your parents told you, you can be anything, you can do anything. Obstacles aren't real. So that's the other end of the spectrum. I don't think either of those attitudes are very healthy in a practical way because the fact of the matter is, even though I might not be able to choose the pizza over the salad, I still have to get my butt up in the morning. You know, I can't be so defeatist that I don't do charity because I think it's pointless. That's it. That's nihilism, right? Yeah. I also, though, can't hold people accountable for things that they couldn't have have chosen to do otherwise my sister decides to steal my barbie because she's a child or if a baby cries you know i can't say well i'm going to punish it because it has total freedom of the will another problem i think if you if you take the total like freedom of the will extreme is if things don't go your way, which oftentimes in life they don't, because there are things that are just out of your control, you're going to get really depressed. Like your your locus of control, if it's totally internal, is going to fail you sometimes. And you have to deal with that failure. So I'm wondering for you, like, how do you find a middle ground? Do you find a middle ground?
1: I guess so. I I think I do. Because that, that last example like really resonated with me at some point you're just if you count everything oh like everything's in my control but in, the reality is that not everything is in our control yeah I have like free will I can do like whatever you know but at the same time the world does not revolve around you no <laughs> yeah it does not it does not revolve around like you or your actions it revolves around like all of our actions at the same time to be like yeah yeah we do have some free will right but it's always within the context of others and like our relationships with other people and the things that we do
0: totally totally and it's important that we make choices no matter if those choices are our own or if they belong to some sort of like cosmic symphony that we're just a part of it's important that i help somebody when i can and the fact of the matter is the more knowledge that i gain the more willful I feel. And that's what's important, I think. And that's why the freedom debate doesn't bother me so much. Like, that's not what bothers me about determinism. I'm kind of like Susan Wolf. I I think, look, total freedom of the will is just something that it doesn't make sense to want. So why concern yourself with it? What does bother me, and what I'm wondering if you can maybe help me with, is the responsibility piece, right because okay let's say um, Jenny smokes marijuana okay let's say she's out in the park she's smoking marijuana and a cop comes and arrests her puts her in jail. They're like we gotta we gotta per- persecute you for breaking the law. She says, well officer, I reasonably, Could not have done otherwise we live in a deterministic world there's no universe in which i did not smoke marijuana and furthermore she says look even if you don't want to be a hardline determinist i'm going to tell you my mom smokes marijuana my dad smokes marijuana i grew up in a neighborhood where everyone smokes marijuana it was an inescapable reality that one day i was going to smoke marijuana too in that case it seems that Ginny did break the law. She did she did break a social contract. However, could she have done otherwise? And how do we hold her accountable for that? One response that someone might have to that is maybe you're right. Maybe no one chooses anything they do. Maybe nobody is truly responsible for their actions. But we have to live together, right? Like in a society you and I have to be able to, you know, like back in the day when we were hunter gatherers or we were just beginning to do agriculture, I needed to be assured that you wouldn't steal my crops. I needed some assurance of that so that I felt comfortable enough to engage in the social contract with you. We still do that. We still need that sort of underlying structure of, of a contractual agreement. Look. You treat me this way. I treat you this way. You follow these rules. I follow these rules and everything's Gucci. So what someone might say in response to my challenge is, look, it might be true that no one can choose what they need to do, but for the greater good, for the utility, our our societal functioning, we just kind of have to make some sacrifices. We have to put some people in jail. We have to, we have to make it so that we can cohabitate. And so you might say, yeah, no, that makes sense. It's really sad that some people might have to go to jail even if they aren't responsible for their actions. But it's, but we also really want protection and security in, in our social arrangements. That's something that we as humans really value. The problem that I see comes into play when you consider another thing that human beings really value, which is a sort of personal security from persecution, right? Like. I want to be free to be the kind of thing that I am without being punished for being that thing. So if I'm a black man, I wanna be able to be a black man without being punished for being a black man. Just something that as we see popping up over and over and over again, if you can consider people who aren't responsible for their actions being locked up as a non-consensual martyrship for the greater good Black people are an ultimate expression of that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a queer woman and there have definitely been points in time in which queerness was made illegal for the greater social good, right? The idea behind that was we need to have, we need to make babies, we need to make sure that people are, you know, maintaining this, this really important, like marital balance, this family balance. That was the idea, it was for the greater good. That doesn't mean I still don't value my personal security. And the problem is there's no way for me to assure that I wasn't born a black man. There's no way for me to assure that I wasn't born a gay woman. Therefore, I really have no security in that sense. So it seems like we value these two very incompatible things. We value social security, but we also value a sense of personal freedom to be able to like be the kinds of things that we are how do you reconcile those two and justice
1: you just dropped like a huge bomb
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know i know this is what i this is what i think about all the time like this is my itch um oh boy i don't expect you to answer it but i'm curious what you think
1: i mean my initial reaction is that you know this very utilitarian analysis of This is for the greater good. Like, this is why we have this specific social contract. But at the same time, these social contracts are the result of, you know, white supremacy or like things of that nature, right? In which we are constructing a social contract upon other people, right? Yeah, now I'm kind of losing, like, getting there because I'm just like, well, at some point there had to be some choice because if you bring in the analysis of determinism, people chose... (laughs) it was predetermined for those power imbalances to be put in the same in that in the first place
0: and that's another thing that sort of comes into play when you're asking questions about justice and determinism is okay sure maybe it's not fair that we we put people away but society couldn't have played out any other way such that we don't have these rules this is just the way that it is but in asking the question is this the way it should be I think it's important to raise challenges and to ask, like, okay, so you've read *The Handmaid's Tale*, right? Yes. I think *The Handmaid's Tale* is a really good example of this tension that we see between social necessity and social utility and personal freedom. Because I don't know if, if my listeners have read *The Handmaid's Tale*, so just to give you quick cliff notes, this this takes place in a universe in which something has happened such that women are having babies at half the rate that they used to. And birth rate is declining. The environment is shot to shit. So so these are just the conditions of the world. This is just how things are going. In response to that, a certain sect in America decides we're going to be hyper-religious in order to bring back some semblance of of structure and order so that things can get better in the future. And one way they go about doing that is by abducting women who are fertile and forcing them to conceive with like high-powered men. And that seems to us like a, a really unacceptable situation. That is a real serious violation of someone's personal freedoms. But the justification is that It's a social utility. We need to be having more babies. We need to be returning to a structure such that we don't damage ourselves and our environments. And I think that we utilize that reasoning so often, sometimes in less serious circumstances, but sometimes historically and equally as serious circumstances. And I'm wondering if you see those parallels and what you think.
1: But can you just clarify the parallel? Because I got a little lost for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No. So the main character that we follow is Offred. Yeah. And she is a woman who's been abducted and is being forced to bear children by you know men that she didn't decide to bear children by. Her freedom is being infringed upon pretty seriously here. So this is a case of, while social utility would say, She's responsible for her action, which is being an adulteress. And that's another important part of this world is that these women who are abducted, it's a punishment for being an adulteress or being a queer woman or being, just not following the social structure that these people in Gilead believe is is the way that you should act in order to maximize the social good. So they're saying, look, she, ought to be punished for being an adulteress. The way that we're gonna punish her is by taking away her personal security. Offred, she couldn't help that she was born a woman. She couldn't help that other people decided that this is the definition of social utility. And if you're a hard determinist, she couldn't have decided not to be an adulteress. So it seems like there's two very serious tensions happening here where one conception of social good is clashing with a desire or a need for personal freedom. And we see that replicated all the time, I would say in in our reality, the sort of tension between what people suppose social utility is and the protections that people want from the government and from the system of social utility that's, that's sort of demanding certain things of people. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah. The first thing I would say is that Alfred shouldn't be punished like that, just based off the things that she could not literally control. On the same hand, again, like this is for the greater good, but what metric is that? What is the, the greater good for the society?
0: It's a hard question because it's a question of yeah. what do we what do we value? What do we value more? And I don't think that's a question that you can answer definitively, which is even more frustrating, right? Yeah. What do you value more? Do you think you know?
1: I will be selfish. I prioritize my freedom.
0: (laughs) I think that you wouldn't be alone in that. And I don't think that it's a bad thing to to want personal freedom because that sets a precedent for other people to be able to to defend themselves. Social structures and the, the, the idea of social good is not an objective fact. You can't just say, this is socially good. Like, this is this will maximize utility. That's something that our society sort of determines for us, that the structures have already set up and continue to set up. And the question is, is there any fairness in that? And if justice to you has something to do with fairness, if Congress decides that smoking marijuana Is bad for society. That's just something that you should not do. Since there's no objective fact saying, yes, smoking marijuana is bad for society. Like you can't point to some sort of metaphysical truth that, yeah, it's a bad thing. So, really, what's happening there in a way is someone's just deciding, someone's just saying, yeah, this is the way it should be. This is the standard for accountability that we're setting. My intuition is. It doesn't seem fair that someone just gets to decide whether or not i'm accountable for something that i didn't decide to do
1: so i think a problem with that is that usually when someone makes the rules that's the rules for a while until the rules gets changed but very you know it's like a little change to it in reality what we consider the social good should be considered like a conversation amongst people yeah this is what we consider what social good is what we consider what justice will be justice today in my opinion it's not gonna be the same as justice 10 years ago or even 10 years from now maybe 50 years from now when a lot of the world <laughs> is underwater justice then will not be the same justice that we ha- have today if we were to use the same conceptions of justice that we have today with environmental you know disaster it, it will just not make sense it will probably one, sound outdated. Two, will not actually hold anyone like accountable. And three, most importantly, it will not repair the livelihoods of people who have been affected by that disaster.
0: Yeah. I think one interesting example that Harry Frankfurt really pioneered is, is the example of the addict, because that's something that we do often is we imprison addicts. And One theory is that look, those people are morally responsible. They should be held accountable for their actions. Another theory is they're under the throes of a serious disease, addiction. And that's something that doesn't need to be punished. That's something that needs to be treated. So that's one contemporary debate I think that you could sort of point to in this discussion. I think you brought up something really interesting which is you're sort of saying, look, maybe there will never be such a thing as like a truly fair system of justice. But the way that we can make it a little bit more fair, the way that we can make it feel fair to us is by making it a more collaborative process, right? It's something that is a process of debate, something that we sort of like e- evolve together and come up with together. I'm wondering if you can speak more on that.
1: Yeah, I can totally speak more on that because- Let's say we have some norms in our little friend group, right? Mm-hmm. Like on Fridays, we watch movies. Mm-hmm. But then let's say where it's like one year later, you know, things change a lot in a year. I get a new job. Mm-hmm. You're now working the same job, but I'm working a whole entirely new job with different hours. And if we were to pres- prescribe to the norms that we already had, even though it's the norms do not equate to social good, but for, this, for the sake of this argument, it will. Yeah. Then you'd be like, Abner why aren't you watching a movie with me? Like, you know, this was a thing that we were doing. But then I was like, Eliza, things change over time. Mm -hmm. Like I got a new job. Thus, the way that we do things must change. So if you were to apply that to the sense of justice, 10 years from now, maybe we won't think things differently. There's just things that happen all the time. I can't really say what will happen or what will not happen. But, you know, because that's the randomness of the universe. Totally, totally. it should always just be this process that changes all the time. Because in reality, it, it it just won't work. What if we were to have the same privacy laws once we have more biotechnology? You know, they're like more intrusive. And, yeah. You know, it, just would, it just wouldn't make sense. And justice wouldn't be served the same way. You know, especially if we're considering like new advancements, new ways of doing things.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think you've identified two really important points. The first is that look, our definition of social good is really dependent upon the circumstances of the world around us. And that way it is pretty deterministic, which is an interesting thing that we don't really have to get into, but that's one way we define social good is what are our circumstances right now? Another really cool thing you identified is that, so let's take the example of the movie night. If you had just come to me and said, Eliza, I'm not coming to movie night, and then just left. That would have felt really unfair to me. Like, I just would have, I would have felt powerless. I would have felt like I had no say in what was going on. Whereas if you come to me and say, Eliza, I think that we should reschedule movie night because of these circumstances, and we had a conversation about it, that feels more willful to me therefore a little bit more fair to me. And so I think you can expand that to say like, okay, for instance, The Handmaid's Tale is another great example of this. So the world changed in a really significant way in The Handmaid's Tale, right? People stopped having babies, crops stopped growing. The circumstances changed the definition of social good. But what's important is that the changes that happened in, America which is Gilead in the book it was more like scenario one where you came up to me and said this is just how we're gonna do it now and that's that's sort of what I think I think a lot of times in religious history you see that happening like people instead of entering into a a dialogue say this is just how we're gonna do it now Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening in Gilead and it feels really unfair in that sense Whereas another option could have been, hey, this is our, these are our circumstances now. Some things have to change. Let's talk about how we can work together to change them. So do you think that even though it, the, the outcomes might be similar or the same, do you feel like it's really important? And, and do you feel like it's more willful in circumstance two versus circumstance one?
1: What circumstance? So circumstance
0: one is whenever you just walk in and say, "I, this is how it's going to be done now."
1: Circumstance oh, okay. two is when You're you right.
0: enter into a dialogue. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. That was just a clarifying question. Okay. Yeah. No worries. No, definitely the dialogue. You know, like, I would just like to clarify, Eliza, I would not have just said, "I'm not going to movie night." I would have rescheduled. Just so I mean our listeners of, don't of- asshole.
0: Of course not. And I would never steal my sister's Barbie. Psh, psh. My sister's listening to this like, okay.
1: <laughs>
0: no, I, Another thing that I think you've identified that's really interesting to think about is that even if we know that everything is, is determined, it seems important to us that we at least feel like we have some semblance of free will. Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think that even if I know I didn't really choose to buy a salad or a pizza, it's important to me that I feel like I have those options and I, I could have chosen to do either one.
1: I mean, then you'd be like the nihilist for like nothing matters, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, nothing ma- like if nothing really matters, in that sense, it really doesn't. Cause it's like, you're just playing the Sims and someone's just clicking buttons <laughs> saying you do this, you do that. And does that seem like a life- you want to live unless it's you know you're living like someone's life a celebrity like doing all this crazy shit yes of course I wouldn't want to be that sim but if it's like for more like you know the more mundane things especially if if you're a person who holds so many marginalized identities yeah you would like to have some semblance of like control or like the freedom to actually do things because then otherwise life just doesn't seem worth it at all
0: yeah we we need to make meaning somehow, and. The way that we make meaning is through willfulness, is through, even, even if it's an illusion of willfulness, we still really, that, that seems like something that we really value. I think that it's a really admirable thing to value because something that determinism does teach us that's important is that or our actions have effect. And if determinism is true, that just means that I should feel more responsible and I should feel more free because... I, I get to use my tools of knowledge. And one of my tools of knowledge is the knowledge that my, my actions might have a serious effect on other people to affect what hopefully is positive change. Even if I know that maybe all of that, that whole train of thought was somehow part of the cosmic symphony, somehow not something that I even chose to do. Either way, it, fe- it feels important to me that I do choose To do something. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Abner, for being my third guest. I had so much fun. Uh, Even I don't feel like we answered any questions, but I didn't expect us to because this is one of the really big questions. Like this is one of the big philosophical questions. Even if I couldn't have chosen to have this conversation with you, know that if I could, I would have. (laughs) and i love you so dearly
1: if you had the choice to love me
0: if i had the choice to love you i would
1: (laughs) thank you for having me
0: Thanks for listening! As always, if you want to support the show, you can find us on Instagram at unsolicited underscore wisdom, shoot us a like or a follow, or you can give us a sweet comment or a like on whatever podcasting platform you are using. We also have a Patreon, uh, it's unsolicitedwisdom at patreon.com. Thanks again for listening, and the song that's playing right now is Prayer and See, the Robin Schulz
1: remix.